Jesus, you are so good. And there's so much of your presence that we have not even begun to experience so much more depth and intimacy and connection. Lord, help us to continually be in awe and wonder and impassioned to pursue after you, God, our infinite God. How little we know and yet how profoundly we know you. We love you, Jesus. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> when I was uh, 10, I woke up one morning with a burning question on my mind. It was about 5.30 in the morning. Um, I don't know why I woke up when I did. I don't re- even remember the dream that I had, but it was pretty intense, because when I woke up, I had this burning question in my head, and it was this, why do you believe in God? I was 10, very intense young man, Um, and I thought, in that moment, I thought, I know the answer to that question, I believe in God because, and in that moment, my whole world crashed, because I suddenly realized that I believed in God because my parents told me. And I had suddenly come to this moment when I realized maybe they're wrong. And uh, I believed in God because my uh, pastor told me and maybe he could be wrong. And basically, I came to this moment when I began to realize that I didn't know why I believed in God. And uh, it actually set me spiraling into a depression. <laughs> For three months, I was basically clinically depressed. I was heavily non-functional uh, socially, uh, couldn't get through a day without breaking down on a regular basis throughout the day, uh, just crying and didn't know how to handle these thoughts and emotions that I was experiencing. Um, I, Not to say by any stretch that this is always the case, but it was my depression was deeply connected with uh, demonic stuff. Uh, I was hearing voices, it's really weird. Um, thing, destructive things uh, voices would tell me to do. Uh, To give an example, at one point I was sitting in my room alone late at night, like I often was, because I couldn't hang out with my brother or sister. I just was just non-functional. And I was was thinking, and sometimes these voices would tell me to do things. Um, And I had this conversation in my head, it kind of went like this, it said, do you want to know if God is real? I said, yes. He said, do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? I said, yes. He said, do you remember what Abraham, what God told Abraham to do to Isaac? Yeah, kill him. And do you remember what God did when he was willing to actually kill his son? Yes, God saved Isaac and brought the lamb. And the voice has said, if you are really willing, really willing to kill yourself, if you really tried, God would save you and he would show up and you would know he was real. So I... You know, took a knife and uh, started aiming. I knew where my heart was. I started aiming, looking. I have this image in my head, even to this day, of me looking at that knife, thinking of what would it be like if I tried to stab myself in the heart uh, as a 10-year-old. And uh, it was it was pretty scary. I, I didn't obviously do it, um, or I didn't do it. 
and and uh, this one thought, you know, only bad people try to kill themselves, you know, it's kind of my head. And by, I broke down, I, I told my parents what had happened and, and really kind of wrestled with, what do I do with this? And they didn't know what to do with me. Um, so there was a conference coming up uh, for the youth, and I was really too young to be going to that probably at that point, but uh, nobody really knew what to do with me. They're like, maybe this will help, so they sent me this conference. And, and uh, the voice is actually... You know, I sound like a crazy person here in some ways, but you know, demonic spiritual warfare is a whole different conversation. We're you know, not going into it tonight, but but uh, the, those voices said you cannot go to this conference. You cannot go to this conference. We, you know, um, I battled it the entire way to Portland, Oregon. Um, this, this demonic presence was telling me not to. Back up just a half a second. Bef- shortly before that was the first time I heard the voice of the Lord. Uh, just a random moment. And, and not to get into all of that, but it was almost as if it was different than when, how I have heard the voice of the Lord regularly throughout my life. Uh, that one was pretty unique. It was it was almost like it was an audible thing. I almost couldn't tell what was whether it was audible or not. Uh, it was almost like an angel just kind of came down with a message from the Lord and said, "Hey," and and the Lord said, "I love you, and I'm going to get you through this." It's the first moment in like two months at that point that I felt peace. Um, I, and I felt this peace of the Lord. Like I just, it just shocked me. Um, but there's this sense of kind of the Shekinah. I, I'm throwing out terms that I don't have time to try to unpack and whatever. But, but I felt the presence of God, and then it was gone. And it, you know, I don't know. If, you know, I, I don't know. I was like, you know, the angel went off to another assignment or something. I don't know. But, but it was like. It was like I felt the presence. And so after that, my depression never had the same power because my my question was answered. I, I knew that I knew that I had just heard from the creator of the universe. I knew it. Um, nobody had to tell me. Nobody had to explain that to me. I just I just knew. And yet, it was like knowing the answer to a question, but somebody fiercely arguing with you. Like the joy of it was sucked away. I still was wrestling with this. So this, this, this battle was still going on. It was like the Lord needed to, to help me get through it and, and until he could get to the moment of break that was going to come. And so I went to this conference. The voices were telling me, do not go to this thing. I battled it um, the whole way there. As, should, as soon as I showed up to Portland, it was like I was left alone. Like, I never again heard those voices. I wasn't at peace, but I was left alone, like, for the first time in months. I wasn't hearing the voices, that whole weird thing. And and I went to the conference and I remember hearing this man speak and it sh- it shocked me a little bit because I realized this guy knows God and not just knows about God not just believes in God but has a relationship that is is more intimate than I know and is more connected than I understand and I don't know how he has this kind of relationship with God, but there's a depth there that I haven't experienced. And I said, God, I don't know what he has, but I want what he has. And basically, right about then, I experienced what I would later find the theology for, uh, which in New Testament is often called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I basically sucked carpet for the next like hour or two. <laughs> I fell on my face. I fell on my face. And it was really funny because I have these memories of that moment, and uh, I would later discover the theology of this concept. But I was like, I didn't understand anything. But all I knew is like, it's like 
I feel the presence of God covering me and filling me. And I was scared of my own shadow two minutes ago, and I was debating the presence of God as a reality, and now I suddenly feel like I could like share the gospels to the thousand students sitting in this room right here. Like, like, how is that possible? Why do I feel this way? Like, what is this? And and I began to feel the, the power of God flowing in me and through me. And I have this memory of the door of the doors of that conference center because I remember thinking when I walked in the doors today, I was bound and a slave to something I didn't understand, but I'm walking out free. And I never again experienced depression. That was over. That was it. That was it gone. And and uh, I would later discover, you know, different concepts of how we have a God who, even Paul, you know, who is uh, the author of much of the New Testament, you know, how many people can say, like, what's your job description? I write scripture, you know, for a living. That's my thing. That's what I do. But he, even he says, I see through a glass darkly. Like, there's so much more. But there's so much that Paul experienced, and I'm like, I want that. I love the, I no, love the example of Paul when... When he says, I know a guy, which every commentator on planet Earth all agrees he's talking about himself. He's just trying to be humble about it. He's like, okay, uh, I know a guy who was sent up to the third heaven, which not like the Mormons and they think of three levels of heaven. It's, it's just a cultural context of like they thought of heaven as like the stars. There was different levels of heaven in the creation. So third heaven is what we call heaven. So he's like brought up to the presence of God, and he, he – is told mysteries that he is not allowed to share. And it's like, why would God tell Paul things that he can't even share? And I love how relational God is because he there's such a depth of intimacy and relationship with him that he's even he is like, I can't keep a secret. I gotta tell somebody. Paul, come here. You know <laughs> guess what I'm gonna do? Nobody knows, nobody can know, but but guess what I'm up to? Like, you know, keep a secret, but, uh, like, there's this intimacy with God, and there's so much more to the presence of God. And so there's, so we're going to talk a little bit about tonight this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to do my best to, to uh, explain this. If you grew up in a church where this was common, this is all going to be somewhat, uh, Repeat. You might learn some new things from our perspective a little bit. That's great. If you didn't grow up in a church where the Holy Spirit was taught about very much, this all may be like drinking from a fire hose. So that's okay. Get ready. Buckle up. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to do a lot of scripture reading right now. So if you have your Bible, um, I'm going to actually have you guys help me tonight uh, read scripture. So if you – if I'm just going to start, start throwing out scripture verses. Write them down. Um, reference them later. We're going to read them. But we're going to dive into one of my favorite topics, period. Um, in part because of how this has affected my life personally, but, but how I really believe um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that makes you a better Christian. It is not something that makes you um, more valuable to God or his kingdom. But it is something that is valuable to the Christians. 
and is deeply significant to us as we start to say, God, I cannot do this, but you can help me depend on you in a new and a fresh way. So let's look at that. But um, we're going to dive into that. Let's start with Matthew chapter 3. Um, I think I have some slides that can kind of go along here. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Acts Verse chapter one, verse eight. If someone else wants to jump over to Acts, a couple of people over to Acts two. We're gonna hang out in Acts two for just a few minutes. So Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. Someone wants to read that for me. Almost everybody's gonna to get to probably read at some point tonight. So just stand up, say it loud, say it proud. Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. I baptize you with the, the water for repentance, but after after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah. Awesome. So here's John the Baptist, right? And he is talking about literal water baptism, um, which is was kind of his thing, right? He was he was so good at it that they called him John the Baptists, right? Like, he was pretty good at it, right? So he baptized people in water, which we still do. Jesus took that Jewish concept that was not new to John the Baptist either. Not, that's not really important for tonight, but it was a Jewish concept at the time. Uh, John flipped it because it was about if you wanted to become a Jew, you would get baptized out of your old gods and old religions into Judaism. John flipped it and said, actually, you Jews need to be baptized because just because you're sons of Abraham isn't enough. So there's a sense of repentance, of reconciliation back to God. And John says, hey, this, this water baptism is in some ways also a metaphor to a different type of baptism. Jesus is highlighting a contrast. When he says baptize you in, in fire... He's saying there's something else that's going to happen that my baptism, this water baptism, is is sort of a living metaphor towards that idea. Okay, Acts or uh, yeah, Acts chapter one, verse four and five. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard. Speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So here Jesus also articulates the idea of this as a baptism. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll see this in Acts 2. If you know much of your kind of meta narrative of scripture, you probably are familiar with the Pentecost story at some level. Um, and so we have this account of Jesus basically saying, hey, Articulating it as a baptism is kind of why we reference it as a baptism is because that's the meta- metaphor that the New Testament used to highlight what was going to happen with this experience with the Holy Spirit. So let's go into uh, the purpose of this. If someone wants to stand up, first person to stand up, read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> yeah, go on. No, you got it. All you. Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But wait. If if you were someone who is basically in charge of uh, a movement, if you're trying to start a movement in the world, there is a concept 
that everybody talks about is called momentum. And momentum is huge to creating a movement, right? You've got this energy, you've got this, this core group that are passionate, on fire, excited, and you, you keep that momentum moving. Jesus has just risen from the dead. The 12 disciples, uh, the other disciples with them have, have all like grieved his loss, his death, and they have just experienced the greatest pep talk of all time. I was dead, and hey, I'm back. Guess what? I have something for you to do. Who would not be motivated by that talk, right? Let's go, right? You got these young men. That's why I love working with college students, because you guys are like old enough to actually start doing things in the world, but young enough to think that you actually can, right? So, and it works. That's why you do. Because you think you can. When you get old, you get a little bit more jaded. Like, I don't know if I can change the world. Young people are always change the world because they are old enough to actually start doing something, but young enough to think they can. And so they kind of do. And so here's these young disciples. And they are, I mean, let me tell you, they are excited. They're passionate. It's everything any person would ever want in a movement creation moment is right here. And this is what Jesus says. Stop. Don't do anything. Wait and just chill in a room until the youthful exuberance dies, until the excitement of this of the novelty of my resurrection wanes in your heart, until everything about momentum has ceased. Just chill. <clears throat> because something else is more important than that. The kingdom of God works differently. And Jesus basically takes the most, like, the moments that every great, you know, world shaker in history would kill to have as as a starting platform, and he basically botches it. Because he says, actually, you need this more than that. More than that, you need this. You need the Holy Spirit, because he is going to be the one who's going to empower you for this ministry. Not your youthful exuberance, not your excitement, not the novelty of what you just experienced. He is going to walk with you and help you. Okay. So, um, and that was after three years of, of his ministry with them, too, which I just think is a fascinating thought. Um, Let's talk about the fulfillment. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Somebody want to jump up there? Acts chapter 2? Yeah. When the time for the Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. And it filled the entire house in which they were. Through 4? Through 4, yeah. Uh, Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Awesome. So we see we see this result, that, that there is this um, act in Acts where, where they are filled with the power of God, the presence of God, um, and a lot of things change as a result. Let's look at the result. So the result is in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, is what we're going to just focus on. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Someone want to read that one for me? 
Yeah, yeah, let's do it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see this incredible fruit as a result. Now, we're going to talk about this idea of, of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, in more than just the concept of for ministry. But that is the thing, we would be amiss if we didn't highlight, that this is what Jesus emphasized as the point at the end before he goes to be with the Father. This is the point, to empower you to do ministry. We're talking to you like, hey, we want you to be the most empowered um, to equip you and empower you to be the most effective minister of the gospel to your world that we can. And so um, we we want, we can't do that any better than Jesus did with his disciples. Amen? And this is how he did it. This is what he said was most important. And so we need to also take uh, into consideration that concept. Uh, now, I'm going to say this actually too. Um, th- there should be lots of questions tonight uh, with this talk. I, I hope so. I, ex- I expect that you probably would. Uh, my phone number, write this down in your notes, my phone number 970-690-2212. Uh, at the end of our little, my little spiel here, uh, we're going to do some Q&A. Any point here tonight, <coughs> that phone should just be ringing um, as you text me objections, questions, thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Yes, 970-690-2212. And uh, I may not be the only one. I'm not going to try to be the answer man here. I'll let staff also, any of you guys who would like to uh, speak to any Q&A uh, are welcome to. But, but, um, <laughs> so he has my number. Okay, but just wanted to make sure. But there's this incredible fruit in the early church. When they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they started seeing more miracles, uh, more. And, and it's an interesting side note that they have done this before, right? I mean, we'll, we'll get into the gifts here in a little bit, but like they'd healed before by an experience before. And so, so wait. And when they did, they experienced this. I, I have a friend, an older friend of mine, Brad Lewis, Kyle, the director in North Dakota, and he says, I love. I love the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's such a game changer in in every field. He said when people are dealing with habitual sin, when there's when there's issues of discipleship, the whole conversation shifts when you suddenly have the power of the Holy Spirit working in a much freer way in your life. It just changes the whole conversation after that fact. You know, Brent Kaiser, who's over doing childcare right now, Brent, you know, he, he told me, you know, from my perspective, as soon as someone gets experiences the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, their ability to minister just changes. The whole scenario is a, is a different conversation altogether. And it's not that you can't, but if Jesus said you need this uh, to do ministry, I think I think he's kind of smart. Um, okay. <laughs> Who? I get there's going to be objections. Like, well, don't we all have the Holy Spirit? We're going to get into all that stuff here in a minute. But who is the promise for? Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39. Someone want to stand up, please. Thank you, Nathan. Next one. Next one is you. I got you next. Sorry, Nathan. I think I was talking over you. Say it again, loud and proud. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God and call. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so, so Peter's like, Hey, um, this, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not for, you know, the apostles or the disciples or it's just for the early church. Um, we don't see any scriptural evidence for that teaching or concept that, that Peter is here just highlights. Like, this is for, for everyone. This is for everyone who's far off, that the, that the Holy Spirit, his role in our life. Now, a question or a thought that, that should come up is like, well, don't we all have the Holy Spirit at salvation? And so what is this whole thing that you're talking about with the baptism, like in contrast uh, to, to what we experience at salvation? And so let's look at that for just a minute. Um, somebody have John chapter 20. Somebody else can run over to John chapter, or at, sorry, Acts chapter 8. Um, so John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. And then, John, and then Acts chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 4. We're going to have a little bit longer one there. <clears throat> so, if you got it, why don't you go for it? John chapter 20, 19 through 22. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly enough, the John's Gospel is sometimes called uh, the, the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because it's uh, it's John at the end of his life after experiencing not just Jesus' teachings, but actually having time. I mean, think about drinking from a fire hose. Spending time with Jesus for three years must have been, you know, the ultimate, like, how do I decompress everything? You're God? What? I mean, just, and his whole life was spent reflecting on the kingdom of God on the earth. And when he wrote his gospel, it wasn't in the immediacy of like, we need to get the word out. It was more out of the reflection of a life lived with the Holy Spirit. And so here, John actually highlights, hey, I experienced Pentecost. I, you know, we, we'll get into all the New Testament stuff, but we received the Holy Spirit in a salvation experience. Seemingly here is where he highlights it. This is where he highlights in this in the concept of his redemptive work in the world, John chapter 20, when it says receive and he breathed on them. The word receive there is not like in the future receive. There's a Greek, you know, 
frame for that in the language, but it was active present now in this moment received. And I breathed on you the Holy Spirit. There is this concept of now you have the Holy Spirit. So we believe that you have the, the Holy Spirit. When you say, Jesus, I want you as Lord and Savior of my life. I want to be your son, your daughter, your child in the kingdom of God now and forever. That sealing work that the New Testament talks about is is real and is true in that moment. Now, there is a delineation that apparently John, as well as Paul, uh, vicariously, and Peter saw between that experience and what we're talking about here. Uh, Acts chapter 8. Who would like to do that? Thank you. Um, Casto, why don't you... Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 17. Um, I think, yeah, I think there is a spot, though. You can read all of it, but... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and just go for it. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with the sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Stop right there for a second. Okay, I want you to catch right there, how are they any different than any born-again, saved, water-baptized follower of Jesus. That is exactly what has happened. They have accepted the gospel. They've been baptized, water-baptized in the name of Jesus. They are saved. And yet, in this moment, Peter and John think they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. They have been baptized in water, they have received the gospel message. They have accepted it in their hearts. And yet, they're going to take another step. So what do they do? Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter... Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. <laughs> Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Are you set? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, 17. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's great. So, so okay. 
Here's here's the thought. Um, Peter, John are sent down from Jerusalem to to help these young believers uh, experience the fullness of what they have to offer. Also, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also saw this as a delineation because he highlighted it in his in his account of the early church. And really, in many ways, probably by proxy, you also have Paul also doing this because Paul was deeply in, influential in Luke's account of the early church, and which is why sometimes it says we went somewhere, and other times it said and then they went, because Luke was sometimes with Paul, and sometimes uh, he went a different direction. But, but these uh, early disciples, the apostles, saw there is a delineation here. So what is that delineation? Um, throughout the New Testament, we see this come up. Um, it's almost like a, a premise an assumption that the early church has access to a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit than, than just, and I say just in only the contrast concept here, but in just, more than just salvation. And and so we see uh, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit come up, oftentimes just because there uh, was abuse, because it was assumed that that was always happening and growing and developing in the, in the early church. The times that it came up, uh, in Ephesians, Paul's trying to teach. In Corinthians, he's trying to, to correct. In Acts, they're trying to highlight, uh, in, in many ways, highlights that the Gentiles have received salvation, and it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that convinced them. So when they're speaking in tongues, we'll get into that, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, like, oh man, they must also be saved like us. So there's this, you know, it, it comes up as an assumption. It would never come up in 1 Corinthians if it wasn't that it was already being so used, and they weren't necessarily being real mature about it, uh, so Paul had to kind of correct them a little bit. But but it was always assumed. Uh, we see it come up throughout. It's just a premise throughout the New Testament that this is ac- uh, an access that the believers have to have more of an experience with the Holy Spirit. Um, all right. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Let's read that real quick. So who is this for? Someone want to jump up 11, 11 through 13. You got it. Would you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then thought you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your, your father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So, we often hear uh, sermons about this passage in the context of God's goodness, but we, we sometimes overlook the fact that the focus of Jesus' message is the Holy Spirit, that we're going to have uh, the Holy Spirit. This is what's good. This is the gift that God has that's greater than a snake or you know bread or whatever. But this is for his children. So, are you a child of God? Yes. So, do you have access to ask for this? Yes. After you have become a child of God, then you have access to ask for it. If you ask for it, it is yours to receive. And so Jesus highlights here, who is it for when some uh, church history is kind of delineated like, oh, those are like for the super Christians or the you know, the saints or things like that. We delineate the, the idea that 
the church are the saints uh, from you know the super spiritual from the ordinary Christian in some ways, and we make we miss the idea that Jesus is actually saying this is for all of us. That as Peter said in Acts, for all those afar off. Okay, so let's talk about for just a few minutes gifts. Let's talk about the gifts. Uh, somebody have First Corinthians chapter twelve verses four through eleven. Who is over there about to stand up? First Corinthians chapter twelve, four through eleven. <clears throat> yep. There are various gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are various operations, but it is the same God who operates all of them in all people. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the common good. To one is given by the Spirit of the Word, no, by the Spirit, the Word of Wisdom. To another, the Word of Knowledge, by the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretations of tongues. But that one, and the, the very same Spirit works in all of these, dividing to each one individually as he will. Okay, I am going to change the way you understand this passage, probably for the vast majority of you. Uh, so, so, here we go. The traditional way that we read this passage is, whether this is for everyone or just a select few, but, every, that, but uh, the traditional way of reading this is that there are different gifts uh, that you have like superpowers. My superpower is flight. Your superpower is laser eyes. And we don't each have the same powers. We simply have our own individual gifts. That is wrong. This passage, one, we have to understand it first. Paul is always writing through the lens of the church, the community, corporately. And when he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he is writing in the context of the service. Literally, the if you go into like Acts, your 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's all through the lens of how are we doing the service. Because you guys are freaking out on everybody that shows up that doesn't know what's going on by all your tongue talking. And I'd rather you, you know, prophesy more. The, the focus of the entire Corinthian letter is all through the lens of of the service or the community. Hey, some of you guys are showing up and you know having communion before the poor people can show up from the fields, and they're you know they're not getting everything. You're getting drunk. Like it's all about the corporate getting together. So we shift our mindset when we come to this passage, and we think he's shifting away from that idea. No, the entire context is corporate. So when he says different gifts, he's not talking like this is your superpower. What he is saying is when you get together, he is going to use you today in this corporate setting in this way and you in that way. So you learn to lean on each other and depend on each other, not eternally like, hey, this is my gift and that's not my gift. So I don't have to try to step out and pray for someone's healing, but I will share a word of knowledge with you because that's what I do. No, he's saying when you get together, the Lord is going to work in different ways for different people. The other thing that he is saying is that uh, that word gift is nowhere 
in the Bible, actually. We, uh, it's, it's hard to translate it without putting gift in, from the English uh, into the English. But uh, the words that are put, that are actually there in the Greek, there is a literal word for gift in the Greek. It's called dorea. It's never used in the New Testament. What is used are two other words that we translate also gift, but their connotations totally change our understanding. One is pneumatikos, which are gifts, but pneuma being spirit and kos being an adjective that um, is hard for us to translate into the English. But basically, a, a way you could say it is the things the spirit does. And so when it's talking about pneumaticos, it is talking about um, the things that the Holy Spirit is doing through you. And yes, it's a gift that he is working through you, but it's not the idea that this is your gift. It is his power that is simply flowing through you. Yeah. Um, the things the Holy Spirit chooses to do, which is, comes to here, the things that he is choosing to do in you today for the edification of the body. Um, the other one um, is charismata, uh, which is where we kind of get the modern Christian word charismatic. Um, in the narrowest sense, this is a theological term of grace, but is always connected to the grace God has given you. Um, it is not. It is always connected to the word grace. It is a gift, but it is a gift of grace, always. And so it is not a gift of supernatural powers. It is a gift of grace. And in the context of the New Testament, it always means the gift of grace that you have received the Holy Spirit. That he is the gift. It's a, it's a parallel if you uh, read when Paul has the famous passage about uh, the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. It's a parallel to that. In English, we use fruit singular and plural. But in the Greek, there is fruit singular and there are fruits plural. When Paul says, this is the fruit of the Spirit, we would assume he's talking plurally. Because there's love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all that kind of stuff. Actually, there is he uses the word fruit singularly. What does that mean? What it means is you have one fruit, the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And he expresses himself in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. In love and peace and patience. And these are his attributes of the fruit that is flowing out of your life. But it is singular, him. And through him, you express all these different things. In the same way, the gifts work the same way. Why is that important? Because we need to realize, I cannot say, I, again, do not need to pray for someone uh, to be healed because that's just not my thing. It's not my gig. Right? Or I don't need to step into a situation and see if the Lord would, would work through me to, to share his love and a word of knowledge to help someone in a situation of need. No, God doesn't care. That's why Paul argues, we'll get into Acts, or in 1 Corinthians, between tongues and prophecy. He's talking in a corporate setting, and he's talking what's more edifying to the body. Is it more edifying to prophesy where the church understands and gets it, understands, or where you're speaking in tongues, where nobody gets what's going on and you're kind of weirding out all the, all the non-believers are showing up. No, he's like, prophecy. I'd rather you all prophesy. It's not saying I'd rather you never speak in tongues as a concept of your spiritual journey. He's saying in the service yeah. 
all of you have access to do both of these. So since you have access to let the Holy Spirit flow through you in both of these ways, I would rather you ask the Holy Spirit to give you something that you can speak intelligibly. Let's see if I can be intelligible. But intelligibly so that the body can be edified. Does that make sense? When we talk about gifts, you have all of them and you have none of them. Because what you have is the Holy Spirit, and he is a gift of grace given to you by Jesus' redemptive work on the cross and through his work in you. You don't get part of God. You don't get part of the Holy Spirit. Like, I get the part of the Holy Spirit that heals. No, you have the Holy Spirit. He does whatever he wants. He does whatever he wants. And so you learn to surrender to him in every situation, in every context, what does he want to do? It's also why there's not a complete list of gifts. Paul writes a couple different lists of gifts in the Bible. They're not the same. <laughs> because his point isn't it's like, hey, here's a comprehensive list of everything the Holy Spirit does. He's like, no, I can't define everything the Holy Spirit would do. Because he'll do whatever he wants. And uh, he'll make you walk on water. He'll make you, you know, heal the sick. He'll make you, you know, turn water into wine. It, he'll do whatever he wants in the situation if you are surrendered to let him flow through you. So it's not a complete list. That would be an infinite list because he will do an infinite number of good things given the context and the situation. All right. You guys with me? Following? Um, all right. Now, Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, or you could say, eagerly desire the greater things the Holy Spirit does. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Which is to also say, we can't say, well, this is my thing, so I move on. The Holy, Jesus, Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit wants to keep using you in greater ways and keep letting him surrender to him. Kind of that series we're talking about at large group. Learn to surrender to his spirit in your life. Uh, in greater ways. All right. Now, let's talk about the, well, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the gift. Um, all right. We're going to skip through that. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about something fun. Okay. Um, let's talk about tongues. Oh, everybody, everybody likes the gifts until we get to that one. So weird. I don't get it. Um, tongues often is the most confusing or mysterious of the things the Holy Spirit does. Um, in Acts, the pattern that we see of those who receive the Holy Spirit is that they speak in tongues. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read that. Uh, Acts chapter 8, 17 through 18, it's inferred if you understand what was the thing that he was pay, trying to pay Peter to receive um, Acts chapter 10, verses 45 and 46, Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Uh, each of those times they prophesy and speak in tongues, um, or speak in tongues, solely. Um, so the pattern seems to be, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the pattern that seems to be in Scripture is that you speak in tongues. Um and that just weirds everybody out, because that's really what trips everybody up. It's like, I, I'm happy to receive more of the intimacy of God, and I'm happy uh, if he, you know, if I prayed for somebody and something actually happened. That would be great. That's fine. But the whole tongue thing, uh, it's not for me, right? Um, 
what we say in the outpost is it is the typical way it is the typical way that the Holy Spirit begins to work through us at first. Um, now, why would that be? Why would that be? So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, for one, tongues is the only gift unique to the New Testament. I think that's really interesting. Uh, tongues is the only gift unique to the New Testament. You want to talk about healing? Of course. Old Testament, all over the place. Uh, you want to talk about signs and wonders? I mean, the sun you know, stood still for like a day. You know, I mean, you talk about uh, prophecy? Of course. I mean, you know, what are the law and the prophets? You know, half, you know, half the Old Testament. So, so every other thing that we see as common that the Holy Spirit does through us is already expressed and exercised on a regular basis throughout scripture without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the one that was unique was speaking in tongues. And so it, it connected people's experience to that to that experience. To say, for the young believers, it was this connecting point to say, man, I have received the Holy Spirit because I realize I have also had this experience in this prayer language. And, and speaking in tongues, it sounds weird. It really is. I get that. Uh, but it, it's when you begin to dive into it, it's really not. It is there is something about when I have nothing left to say, and I don't know what to tell the Lord, and I am at an end, and I'm spiritually dry, and I am desperately needing Him. There is something about surrendering myself to his guidance when I start saying, God, I don't know even what to pray and the Holy Spirit says, it doesn't matter, I can pray for you and through you and that abiding connection is so intimate because I don't even know what I'm saying but I'm surrendering my will to say, God, I just want to pray in line with your will that there is this intimacy and this connection that happens. So, one is unique to the New Testament. It helps tether us to everyone else throughout history that have experienced uh, this. It was um, so powerful that the, that the Jews were convinced that the Gentiles were becoming Christians or saved because of that experience. When they saw the Gentiles speaking in tongues, particularly they realized, you know, if they were prophesying or different things, they're like, yeah, you know, it's like anybody, you know, any other religion, they claim to have, you know, whatever. But but it was that experience in speaking in tongues, it was like, wow, they have what we have. And it tethered them to that common experience. Um, second, it also uh, is the only pneumaticos or charismata that the Holy Spirit does in us that the Bible says actually edifies us personally. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, I think we have that one up there. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. I uh, remember we're talking in a service here. It's like this is more edifying. Uh, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. That's why it doesn't matter in a service. It's like you're talking to God out loud. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. So if other people are around, that's kind of assumed in prophecy. Encouraging and comforting. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. 
hey, it's great to speak in tongues when you're together, but more important for everybody else, you should prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Again, the whole context is through this lens of the church. Paul's not talking a personal prayer language outside of that. He's saying it's better for you to do that corporately in a place where everybody can understand. Um, but the point that I really want to hone in on is um, in verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Now, why would that be so? Why would it be more edifying for you to speak in tongues than anything else? There's the, the only one that highlights that. Well, if you, if you heal, if you pray for someone and they get healed, that edifies them. If you prophesy over other people, again, that edifies them. If you do a sign or a wonder, I mean, you might get some residual like, yeah, that was really cool, but it's about them. And speaking in tongues is about you talking to God directly. It's the only one that is connected to your sense of intimacy and connection and relationship with God directly. Not for the sake of the unbeliever or for the sake of the lost or for the sake of the growing of the church around you, but for your sake. And so it makes sense that God would start with you before he starts trying to use you for anyone else. Right? It makes sense that he would start with, you know, we say what God does in you, he wants to do through you. Let me tell you, when you've learned to walk in a prayer language, um, it's a lot easier to say, God, I've learned to surrender my tongue in a prayer language where I don't understand what's going on. So all of a sudden, God lets you in on what's going on, and you, it's just its the same thing. Prophecy in tongues is almost the same thing. It's just like, hey, God's like telling you what he's saying through you. And so it becomes a lot easier to step out as you've already learned to surrender. Why would speaking in tongues edify us? James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, <clears throat> says this. Somebody want to read that? Somebody want to stand up and read James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So, when James is talking here, who can tame the tongue? It's the the hardest thing to tame. And it's like the Lord says, I can do that. I can do that. Uh, And when we speak in tongues, we we are learning to surrender the hardest part of us to surrender. And when we've learned to surrender the hardest part of us, we have learned to surrender all of us. And when we've learned to surrender all of us, we can suddenly be used 
through us to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. We become a ready vessel for that. Um, okay. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues interchangeable? No. They're two different concepts, although they, they're symbiotic, if you want to use that term. You, you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not even going to say, like, you necessarily immediately speak in tongues always. Like, is there ever an exception to that? Sure. Um, but you can't speak in tongues without experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's sort of like saying, can you be saved without getting water baptized? Let's talk about the physical one. Can you be saved... Uh, without being water baptized? I would say yes. Um, but why would you wait? And if you get water baptized, there's this public expression, there's this physical expression. Uh, we in the West love to delineate the spiritual from the physical as if they don't have anything in common. We have too much of a Greek mindset in our heads so often in that way of thinking. But really, the Jewish, the, the Christian Mindset is that the spiritual and the physical are so close that they overlap many times. And someday they're going to merge. But they overlap. And they said there were these places where they would overlap. And the ancient mind had these places where the spiritual and the physical started to just merge a little bit in these spaces. And they would call them temples. And then Paul in the New Testament says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What he's literally saying in the mindset of a Jewish uh, first century follower of Yahweh is you are now the place where the spiritual and the physical are merging together. You are the place where these things are starting to come together and you are now a temple on two legs. You take my presence with you wherever you go. You take the Shekinah, the glory, the presence of God with you wherever you go. And, And there is something about Merging that spiritual and that physical together that just takes us to a whole other level. So, can you be saved with, without getting water baptized? Yes, but being water baptized reinforces that spiritual reality. And it's a virtuous cycle that the two serve each other. That you get saved in your heart, but as you express it physically, it becomes more real to you. And so it's like you're reinforcing that salvation in your own heart and life. In the same way... The gifts in general, but I think tongues in particular, um, are are a symbiotic, a virtuous cycle that when I'm like, man, I'm experiencing just a deeper intimacy with God in this moment, and I'm experiencing his presence in a way I haven't before. And sometimes it's like diving into the deep end of the pool. You're just like, whoa, I'm, you know, that was kind of my experience. Sometimes it's kind of like starting into the kitty end of the pool and the Holy Spirit. He's just kind of like walking you into that deeper and deeper experience. But when you start speaking in tongues, it's like, oh, man, I, I'm actually surrendering to God. Like, it's actually happening. And that strengthens my faith to keep going into that deeper and deeper place with the Lord. There's this, there's this virtuous cycle that develops. Um, tongues is not more important than any other gifts. Um, in fact, Paul emphasizes constantly that in the corporate setting, it's the least important one because it's the one that's just about you and God. Um, but in the setting of starting out, journeying with the Holy Spirit, it makes sense that the Lord would start there with us. All right. Um, All right. We'll talk about receiving maybe in a little bit. Questions? You guys with me? Take a deep breath. 
Yeah. All right. If you have questions, uh, why don't you text now? If you have questions, why don't you text now? Um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you just like five minutes. Stand up, kind of stretch. Go to the restroom if you need to. What we're gonna do is a quick break. Um, and text me any questions that you have. Thoughts, questions, objections, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and then we're gonna jump back in. Alright. Hey, if you have if you have any questions or comments, if you ask something you think you already know too, but just would like to kind of hear our two steps on it, that's fine too. Um this this one I realize uh, in in Christianity, this one is is one that is is uh, a conversation piece that is highly debated and can be by itself sometimes divisive. That is never the goal by any stretch. Um, you know, we believe that you know men and women uh, reaching out to our campus who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit haven't gone there. They're incredible men and women of God. I'm not anyway trying to say like there's um, you are a greater Christian on this, but there is just more that the Lord uh, wants to work through you. And um, so it's it's interesting. The uh, in Christianity, uh, this has become even when I was a kid, this was heavily debated, and there's a lot of arguments that have kind of died over the years because of experience anymore uh, in the missions field. A lot of times. Uh, you know, for example, people are like, "Well, I'm Baptist in the states, and I'm you know, missionary with blah blah blah, this ministry or that ministry." But overseas, we all believe in, you know, working this kind of stuff because it's sometimes a little more open. In the West, we're far more hesitant towards uh, the spiritual. Uh, it's messy. It is. Yeah, it's true. Messy. And uh, it kind of scares us. Our, we like to keep. God as much. I'm not saying anything about anybody's questions or fears or anything like that. It's totally legitimate. But we, we tend to kind of put God a little more in the test tube and keep him where it's safe a little bit. And this kind of breaks him out of, uh, lets him out of the cage a little bit. And, and it can be really messy. And uh, like, what do I do with, with experiencing God? Uh, it's one thing to believe in him. Um, but but uh, to experience him in a deeper way, uh, in this way. And can you experience God without it? Yes. All that, but but if you have any questions, you know, I've got a bunch here, but I just want to make sure that uh, let me tell you, I am not afraid of any question you've got. Trust me. So uh, just bring it on. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, but we anyway. So so we but we want to to really flesh this out as best we can because we know people have a lot of different backgrounds and experiences and questions about this and, and it's totally legitimate to, to have that. And so we want to journey with that. If it really is what we it is the wrong word. Holy Spirit is a him or a person however you want. But but if he really wants to work in us in the way that I have tried to articulate and paint the picture, then this is really important. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because Jesus said, hey, wait for this, disciples, because you need this to do ministry. Uh, and so, you know, we want to really journey with, is, am I right or am I way off base? So um, if you have questions uh, or just thoughts you want to kind of get our two cents on, uh, feel free to text uh, me and we will uh, try to get through as many of these as we can here. And again, staff, uh, if you would like to, to chime in here at all, feel free. Uh, we can't go every person share every thought on every topic. <laughs> I don't say how it works. But, but, but uh, uh, one or two people want to kind of highlight. Uh, I, I'm not going to try to just answer this. Um, okay, is the Holy Spirit sent forth from Jesus or the Father? Uh, if the Holy Spirit baptism is really so life-changing, why do so many people who claim to have it use God for selfish gain or even turn to uh, from God completely? Uh-huh. Okay, so let's let's kind of uh, breach. First one is the Holy Spirit sent forth from Jesus or the Father. Um, anybody want to highlight that? So... Um, at some level, it's kind of the question, how do you delineate the Trinity? Uh, that's That can get really tricky. Uh, we do recognize that Jesus uh, did not send the Holy Spirit into the world until he had gone up to be with the Father. Uh, Paul in the New Testament identifies the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. However, to go so far as to say that the Holy Spirit is simply an ex- expression of Jesus uh, would be to go too far. It's, it's kind of the concept of the Trinity. Uh, you would probably... The simplest answer to that would probably be in your in your way of thinking. It'd probably be easiest to probably say, and we don't really always understand how the Trinity fully works within itself. I mean, let me tell you, you try to put your eyes into that. That is a that is a <laughs> infinite well that is hard to. So, but I, I'd probably say you're probably thinking uh, most accurately if you think of the Holy Spirit coming from the Father. Uh, Jesus comes to Earth. Uh, brings redemption. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus at his physical water baptism. He goes off into the desert in preparation to do ministry. So even Jesus models uh, the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then ministry. Um, and 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 then as Jesus comes up, brings uh, reconciliation before uh, the throne room of God. And all of this language gets broken down in, in its in its metaphor pretty badly at some point, but uh, after that, you might be able to say the Holy, uh, the Father sends the Holy Spirit down on his followers. But again, the Trinity is is one being, maybe three persons, but to delineate any one of them is, is tricky. I would just maybe say to and add that you know the Father's like the originator of all things, so he originates the Holy Spirit, but Jesus himself says that he baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is like the the tool by which God gives the Holy Spirit to people. This may be a way of saying that. Cool. Cool. That's great. Um, if the Holy Spirit baptism is really so life-changing, why do so many people who claim to have uh, it use God for selfish gain or even turn from God completely? Cool. Anybody want to throw that out there? <coughs> Uh, if the Holy Spirit baptism is really so life-changing, why do so many people who claim to have experienced it basically live selfish lives and even walk away from God at times? Yeah. I, I'll breach it unless staff want to jump in here. But 
uh, a couple of things. Empowerment has never is not by itself a correlation to character. Yeah. Uh, and we actually highlight that. You know, God used a donkey to speak to a prophet. He can use you. That does not mean you're a super Christian. Okay. Not trying to compare you to a donkey. This is on a podcast, so just highlight that. But, but. They said I'm like a donkey. So, so, but Satan was in the presence of God and fell. So to say you experience the power of God does not mean, yeah. one, that you have greater character. Yeah. Uh, and character, right. we see throughout Scripture of people who experience powerful moves of God, their character always wins out at the end of the day. If the character wasn't right, if they weren't transformed by God, yeah. they just experienced the power of God. Look at Saul, yeah. he prophesied. Mm-hmm. He experienced the anointing of God as a king, and yet he became selfish in it. Yeah. Satan fell yeah. uh, from the presence of yeah. God because selfish is character. Uh, pulled him away from God, even in experiencing the power of God. Yeah. So, so to walk away from God or to be selfish, uh, just because you experience the power of God does not by itself. Now, it it, it is like uh, it is like dynamite. It it com- propels you. If you are at a place where you are just deeply longing to draw close mm-hmm. to the heart of God, it will compel you, propel you yeah. in a place where you just would not go without that. But if you are just kind of standoffish and you just really don't want God, you know, that's why Paul tells Timothy, like, fan into flame. This is something, yeah, I experienced that like 10 years ago. That's great. That was 10 years ago. That does not mean your life is going to be transformed today. It's an active, present experience with God. And so that whole thing where we, and that's maybe an important point to highlight, is we tend to have this idea, I experienced that, did that, put that in my card, you know, right next to my salvation card. And, uh, you know, I spoke in tongues once at a retreat once, you know, back in the day. Wow. And, and no, that's not going to have any impact in your life today. Right. Nothing to do with your life today. Unless you are filled today. And so that experience also, yeah, I was, ex- I f- was filled when I was young. That's great. You may have had a dynamic faith then. That does not mean you have dynamic faith today because you did not fan into flame. You did not be filled. Paul uses the active present when he says be filled. Not once, actively, ongoing, experience the journey of walking with God. It's like saying I was I was married once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like what is you know, people today like what does that mean for you today? Nothing. I mean, maybe a negative thing, you know, because, like, I, I didn't foster that. I need to ongoing develop the relationship because it's all about relationship. So anybody want to highlight anything else there or we'll move on? Okay. All right. Um, all right. Can you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit before you're baptized in water? Good question. It's a great question. Anybody want to just highlight that? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, uh, and, and I know this anecdotally from people who have. Um, in fact, our my former director, one of my former directors, Eli Gotro, uh, his whole experience was he. Long story short, he was he was in a small group. Nobody should do a small group like this. He was in a small group where an, an intern was learning at his school, and basically would have like a room like this two athletes would come and he would preach fire and brimstone at the two of them as if he was preaching at a, a thousand, it could have been a thousand people in the room. You know, he was just kind of like, and, but, but, but he was speaking the truth. He was, you know, 
and, and Gotro, who had like no church history and all this kind of stuff, he was actually being convicted in his heart, and, he, and this guy like had an altar call. Like, if you want to get saved, come. You know, it was like three of them. Like, okay, so he comes up. He comes up. Nobody's taught him anything. He knows nothing. And this, this is his highlight, is that he, he knows literally nothing. He did grow up in the Bible Belt, so this is really strange, but he has no understanding of anything. He comes up to the front, and he gives his life to the Lord, and he begins to speak in tongues right then and there. He's never been taught it. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's like, what the? <laughs> but but he experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you know nobody baptized him in water in between. Like I came up to the front and I started speaking his tongue. So yeah, anecdotally we also know that like water baptism is not a salvation experience by itself. It's like speaking in tongues. It reinforces, but it is not by itself a salvation experience. So it, you know do you have a relation? You have access to the Holy Spirit at that point? Yes. So can you? Yeah. Yeah. Check. See in Acts when. Peter preached in Cornelius' household also. Right. Good good so reference. They, yes, thank you. The way that they understood that they received Jesus was that they spoke in tongues, and then they were baptized after that. Yes, thank you for that scripture reference. I didn't even think about that. Good, good, good. Um, how do you... Uh, <laughs> interns. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Why is the Holy Spirit so awesome? Yes. Um, I have heard of baptisms. This is a good one. I have heard of baptisms in the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. But that tongues will come eventually as an expression of the joy the Holy Spirit brings. Okay. What do you think about this? Is this backed uh, scripturally or experientially? Great. Great question. Do, does, if, even if you say... Speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the theological statement of, of this idea. Uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues is the initial physical evidence. Does that mean the initial immediate evidence? Uh, or might you be filled with the Holy Spirit and <coughs> speak in tongues, you know, later? Um, yeah, good question. Anybody want to throw out that? I, I would say... The answer is yes, you can. Anecdotally, scripturally, there's no basis one way or the other in that. We just see it in Acts uh, that that it always happens seemingly immediately. Uh, throughout the New Testament, it's just assumed it seemingly as a premise that that is happening um, initially or, or pretty quickly as an assumption of this is going on. Um, anecdotally, uh, I would probably say... Yeah, it's, it's certainly possible uh, to, to do that. But I think it's like saying, I'm going to experience this, but I'm not going to give it any expression. Is like saying, yeah, I'm going to get saved, but I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, there, there's this like, can you do that? Yeah, but you're missing something if you yeah. strive that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be a season of like developing into, you know, as Paul says, you know, seek after the greater gifts. Like there might be a growing into the surrender of the Holy Spirit and more experiencing of that communion with the Holy Spirit in that way. Uh, but but be careful to say, like, is that possible? Yes. Is that what you should strive for? No. Um, you should you should be seeking to, to develop that um, ongoing symbiotic relationship. Because let me tell you, nothing reinforces, strengthens, and deepens that uh, 
communion with the Holy Spirit like speaking in tongues for all the reasons that the speaking in tongues like we talked about mm-hmm. surrenders your tongue gives you you know edifies you builds you up um, so mm-hmm. yeah why why not go there um, I will say in my experience it wasn't immediate right there in that moment in that mm-hmm. service however it was fairly quickly after that wow. that I, I did experience baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues um, so for me, it wasn't really an immediate experience in that moment, um, but it, it was the initial physical evidence, and it happened fairly, fairly quickly after that. So anybody else want to throw out anything there? Great question. The answer is yes, but don't strive for that as your agenda. Um, why do we speak in tongues in a prayer group while someone is praying? Okay. Okay, um, the short answer is, uh, again, Paul is addressing the service. And so his objections, if you read Corinthians in the context, his objection is that lost person shows up and thinks you're weird, <laughs> which is true. And if you've been around, if you've been around Chi Alpha groups, I had a friend, my Chi Alpha, and we're always, I mean, it's messy. Sometimes you know we, we don't we don't do everything perfectly. The Holy Spirit gives us grace and working with us in this. We're growing in maturity in this. But it's like the the Holy Spirit was still letting uh, the Corinthian church uh, commune with Him in that way. Even though Paul comes in and says, "Hey, actually, you should like learn wisdom," because it's like sometimes you let little kids do things until they've learned the maturity to to use it more appropriately. And and um, so all that to say. If you're in a setting where, let, let's say everyone has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's just say it's a simple example. Everybody's experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody's comfortable with it. Nobody's going to be weirded out. That was Paul's objection to why Corinthians shouldn't do that. So nobody's there that's going to be weirded out by that. Um, can you all just like together, corporately, like, hey, let's just worship the Lord in our prayer language. I don't think there's any good scriptural evidence for why that's not acceptable. Um, Paul is addressing a specific context and a specific situation with a specific need. Um, so sometimes, like in a more intimate setting, um, and I'll, honestly, I'll do this too. I don't do this a lot, but sometimes when I feel like hey, everybody is on the same page or understands, maybe like say like a staff meeting, sometimes um, whether or not everybody has you know experienced that yet, but they they're kind of on board and understand what's going on. Um, nobody's going to be weirded out by that, and it actually strengthens the the example and the model. And the encouragement uh, in that, uh, I think it's I think it's fine. And uh, yeah, but if if you had a prayer meeting or a meeting and you know your lost friend down the street comes in that circle, you need to treat that situation very differently because that's that's where it, um, you never want to create issues for people in that context. Cool. Yeah. Can I ask something? Nate? Yes, please. Um, I think there's numerous. Uh, examples of people being prompted by the Holy Spirit to use their prayer language um, for the Holy Spirit to accomplish, yeah. you know, certain things. So Acts two, yeah, Acts two. Uh, even you know Scott Martin, our national director, he was ministering to a guy who was uh, from a Navajo background, and he, Scott was really trying to get through to him and sharing the gospel, and this guy was really resistant. And finally, the Holy Spirit told Scott, speak to him in your prayer language. And 
So I was like, all right, you know, nothing left to lose. He just did it. He obeyed. To him, to Scott, he didn't understand what he was saying. But this kid was shocked because he heard in Navajo um, this message from God. <laughs> okay, that there's numerous. I mean, I know so many examples yeah. of that. That's just Lots. one of many. Yeah. Um, you know, we know a guy in Russia who was in a situation that was about to turn violent, and uh, he he started just speaking out in, in tongues, and uh, the guy that was going to attack him immediately ceased and thought he was he was from this people group and he said sorry brother you know we'll leave you alone so you know there's just <laughs> it, 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 it is it is more than it, it, the Holy Spirit can use tongues for different means you know it can be used publicly uh, for different things for the Holy Spirit to accomplish it's good yeah. you just gotta be wise with it and let the Holy if the Holy yeah. Spirit's guiding you right <laughs> Again, Paul says don't do it, but he's talking in a specific context because we know in the bigger picture of Scripture, Acts 2, that's exactly what they did. They were speaking in tongues in front of everybody. <laughs> and everybody's like, how do we understand? Because the Lord was doing a miracle through that and actually interpreting uh, for them in all their individual languages. Uh, and I know stories of that. There was a CSU student that was in Russia some years ago, not with us, but with one of the other ministries. Um, and, and they were on a uh, basically a city bus and this girl had this conversation with this Russian babushka, this old lady and when they got done the team uh, came up to her and said, How are, we didn't know you knew Russian she's like, what are you talking about? Like, you were speaking in Russian for like the last half an hour she's like, no, I was speaking in English she's like, I don't know any Russian wow. you know, so the Lord does all kinds of wild stuff, but, but yeah so, now that wasn't obviously like, she didn't even know she was like Speaking in tongues in that context. So, but but as a concept of what Brent's saying, absolutely, we we gotta be careful about restricting the Holy Spirit too much. And get it. Some of this. Um, I think you can like get an yes. interpretation too, even if you don't. Yes. Um, like know that language. Like I know I've been in like corporate settings where I like hear someone across the room, mm-hmm. and I don't like understand the language or mm-hmm. like have learned that language, but I like in my spirit, like the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit will like reveal. What, right. what he's teaching yeah. and he's speaking right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, what about the argument that speaking in tongues is not for contemporary times? Great, great question. This is what was real but not applicable for today. Okay, that's that's a fairly common uh, objection. Uh, scripturally, it's pretty hard to work around uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you're really going into deep exegetics and hermeneutics of it. So uh, some people will go, well, that was for then but not for today. Um, yeah, anybody want to go that? Uh, basically, I just showed you a whole bunch of scripture, so I would ask that you would use the same uh, for me for that argument. Um, and you will find it. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be humble, Nate, here, but I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> that, that argument has come out of anecdotal experience within denominational history. We haven't been experiencing this, so we feel either we have to be convicted that we need to go there, or, and we feel like that means that there was something wrong with our experience, which is not necessarily true. Um, So we have to find justification for why we haven't been experiencing this. Instead of saying, because we haven't been pursuing the Holy Spirit in this way, they say there must be some reason why 
we aren't experiencing this. So it is happening in the in the early church. It was happening with the disciples. It was happening with the early church, but it must have stopped after that. Show me scripture. Show me scripture. Yeah. Um, I think something people might use for that argument and like a scripture yeah, that's yeah, go ahead. Is, yeah. to refute what you're saying is when Paul says <coughs> prophecies will cease tongues mm-hmm. yes, okay. will, will cease but that yeah. the context of that scripture is is essentially he's talking about etern- in eternity right. we won't need the we won't need the Holy Spirit to work in this way anymore because Good. we'll see God as he really is mm-hmm. right. he needs experience the other one that's used like that is uh, I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Um, it's pretty easy to just read the context. You read the context and be like, do you really think that's what Paul's talking about? Paul is talking to the church, and he's he's say, it's clearly talking about eternal, heavenly experience with God face to face. Some of these things are going to change. Because why do you need prophecy? When you are face to face with God, <laughs> what are you prophesying over? You are together in His presence. So yeah, these things cease; they don't need to happen anymore. But uh, yeah, people are pushing that narrative into today because they think that. And so, what's the basis for why we don't need it today? Well, they would say, well, because we have uh, Scripture. Um, but let me tell you, uh, the people got saved in the New Testament because they they saw the signs and wonders, they experienced the presence of God. And and I in no way am trying to minimize the, the word of God. I have a high view of scripture, but that is not the same thing. And let me tell you, there are countless examples even in our own community of people who, you know, the word of God was not penetrating, but an experience with God, the presence of God, the, the manifest experience of his love, his presence, his relationship. Why would God not want to be more relational with us? Yeah. Why would he not want to be more relational? Oh, he's going to be less relational because now he can tell us about himself instead of us experiencing him. Like that doesn't make sense even in the narrative of God's story of bringing us back into relationship right now. So uh, the, the arguments for that... Uh, Honestly, and I'm not trying to minimize anybody's experience you know, with pastors they respect or denominations that truly have helped walk with them. I, I, I get that, and it's really, those things are all legitimate. Um, but in this argument, it's, it's really, mo- honestly, most uh, theologians today don't even try to go there with, with this, if, if it's any you know, indication, because the argument has been tried and found wanting. Um, they just can't. Uh, really justify that idea. So, okay. Uh, how do you come to speak in tongues? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get into the, the reality of Okay, that's great. I want to experience God through the Holy Spirit. Um, I will tell you, if you would like us to pray with you, we are going to give you opportunity to do that tonight. If you if if you don't, that's okay. But, but hey, let's take the opportunity to spend some time yeah. uh, seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of, of, of that simply to say you just receive. How do you receive salvation? You just receive what God is offering to you. Um, and it's, it's the same way. Oftentimes, if we're just worshiping the Lord, uh, again, tongues is kind of that tool that the Lord can use to kind of open us more to the infilling. And so 
you know, sometimes I just wor- encourage you to worship, and when you cease to, you know, as you're filled with the awe and the wonder of God, and you cease to have words to express the infinitude of your awe mm-hmm. of Him, mm-hmm. just surrender your tongue, mm-hmm. and He'll just take it from there. Yeah. You know, and, and so we're gonna we're gonna go there if you want. You know, and if you don't, okay, that's fine. But but um, uh, we will walk with you a little more in depth. Uh, with, okay, how do we kind of experience this? Mm-hmm. I believe that some of you guys um, will even experience the initial experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not something complicated. It's yeah. not something you do. You just receive. Yeah. You just right. receive. Same way you receive salvation. Yeah. Do you have to receive it? Yes. You have to mm-hmm. take it. Mm-hmm. But that's all you're doing yeah. is receiving yeah. what he's already giving you. Okay? So we'll get more into that. Um but for simplicity, I, I think I'm just going to leave it there and kind of move on uh, for a few minutes. Does it matter when you're baptized, whether you're a baby or an adult? Okay, so we're talking water baptism here. Uh, if you're baptized as a baby, should you get baptized again once you're an adult? Okay, uh, water baptism. Um, yeah, anybody want to like that for a sec? Yeah, Jacob. Um, a baby can't make a conscious decision to surrender their life to Christ. So I would just argue that you wanna you wanna obey the command of God and get water baptized after you have personally made the decision to surrender your heart to Christ. Otherwise it's just your parents making it for you or whoever did that. Yep. Uh yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. That that has so much history and context and, and yeah. I don't want to get distracted too much with that. Uh, it's a great question. Um, my father was uh, grew up Lutheran. My family are all Lutheran. I have a Lutheran uh, pastor uncle and, and grandfather who's deacon and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they baptized my father, uh, sprinkled him. When he suddenly experienced for himself the commitment to say, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior, he did get uh, baptized. The sprinkling of water he just saw as like, that was my parents' commitment to me to yeah. walk with me in that salvation story, but I had to choose it for myself at some point. Now, whether or not the theology of that always in denominations has always been that way, um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's how we would say it. We would say, yeah, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, hi, Nate. First off, thanks so much. Good. Awesome. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, second, a question. I've heard the argument made that in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that Paul was trying to dissuade the Corinthian church from boasting uh, their gift of tongues in public because they were using it with the intention to show that they were being edifiers, uh, uh, being, uh, I think, edified. But I don't know how it translates in the Greek. Thoughts? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, I think, if I think I understand the, the heart of that question, um, you're, you're right, as best as we can understand the context of why the Corinthians were doing what they were doing, and that is sort of, we're always like listening to one side of a two-way conversation, you know, it's like listening to somebody on the phone, it's like, you think you kind of get what's going on, and we kind of do, but but we're just hearing Paul's response to them, we don't fully understand always the context. It seems as if, yeah, they were kind of, they were being actually proud a little bit. Tongues, they were seeing as the highest gift. So there was actually, Paul was kind of like flipping it on them. It's like, because they're all like, look at me. 
I speak angel, you know. It's like, <laughs> do, right? Like, why are you boasting about what God is doing yeah. in your life? Yeah. And so Paul's fighting that. Yeah. And so, so we think that's what's going on. It's just our best guess. It seems to make sense given everything Paul says in the context. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it changes too much of anything that we said one way or the other. Uh, just that Paul is addressing a church that really is young, immature, and just being dumb uh, with it. Whatever reason that was, uh, probably was for pride's sake. Uh, they were, they were uh, trying to be like, look at me, I, I speak in tongues. Uh, um, and Paul's like, that's not edifying anybody. Yeah. It's just getting in people's way. Yeah. And that's not the heart of this. Right. And uh, yeah. so stop, stop making it an issue. Mm-hmm. Anything else there? Okay. If I didn't answer that question uh, fully to where you're going, feel free to ask me. How do you explain the Holy Spirit to people who do not know Jesus? <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to, some of these I'm going to just real quick here, but uh, if anybody wants to add, uh I would just emphasize we. I wouldn't try to delineate. So this is the Father. This is the Son. This is the work of Jesus. This is you know trying to cl- clarify the Trinity or whatever. Just say I have a God who has a relationship with me, mm-hmm. and I have a God that I believe is pursuing me and wants to have a relationship with me and that I can connect to in a way that you probably don't even imagine. And when I sink, when I connect to that power, that force, that being who created all things, it has transformed my life because he wants a relationship with me and he wants a relationship with you too. Just just leave it in the relationship lens because that's really, at the end of the day, everything, what everything goes back to. Yeah. Relationship. God drawing you deeper into relationship with him and him using you to draw other people into relationship with him. And so the Holy Spirit, all, all that stuff, it's like, you know, if you want to get into like the nuance with a non-believer... It's like, hey, guess what? I have a God who heals. Can I pray for you? I have a God who loves you so much he wants to share with you something. I feel like this maybe is just from the Lord. Are you going through something like this right now? I think the Lord would say this to you right now. It's a relational God speaking relationship through you. So just kind of leave it there. Anything else? Anybody else? When you say that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit when you are young and then not be filled later in your life, are you saying that we can lose our faith? Okay. Um, okay. So there's yeah, there's two different things kind of going on here: uh, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not trying to get into the whole debate. Can you lose your salvation? Um, that that's. I'm happy to have that conversation, but that one's a whole another sticky conversation. That, uh, what I'm saying is Paul seems to articulate this idea that um, you can experience, you got to think of it less as a gift. Remember, take it out of the gift terminology, put it into relationship terminology. Can you be closer to me today than you were yesterday? Yes. Can you be less close to me today, tomorrow, than you were with me today? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, why? Because you decided to lie to me, cheat to cheat on me, and not spend any time with me, right? Like, okay, that hurt. <laughs> that hurt. Um, yeah. So, so 
Can you have a deeper relationship with God today than you will tomorrow? Yeah, you can have a deeper relationship with him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Now, can you lose your identity in that family? So Jude could have a, a, a weaker relationship with me someday if he wants to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be like, screw you, Dad. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want to do my own thing. Is he still my son? Well, yes. So identity is a different conversation. But the relationship context needs to continually be fed. And so I'm just going to leave it at that, um, if that's okay. Um, Because I know the conversation, can you lose your salvation, can you not? I'm not trying to get into that. I'm simply saying Paul talks about the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And if we think of it in a language of of relationship, are you filled with the presence of God? Are you filled with his love, his adoration, and his abiding presence in your life today? That can grow or wane. Um, and Paul seems to highlight that through different ways that he articulates the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So can you be filled yesterday and not today? Uh, functionally, at some, you know, it gets kind of strange in the language of it all, but yeah, yeah, essentially. Like, can you have a deep uh, friendship today and you, and you walk away from that? Yeah. I spoke in tongues three years ago. Never have sense. Never spent any time with the Holy Spirit sense. Never spent time with God sense. Yeah, okay, you're not uh, equally experiencing the intimacy of God uh, as you once did. Does that mean your identity changes? That's a different conversation. Cool? Is that good enough? Unless anybody else has anything they want to add to that, I'm happy to let them. Okay. Okay, I got a lot of questions here. Okay. Um, No, this is good, guys. This This is good stuff. Um, if someone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit loses their way with God, how then does the role of the Holy Spirit in their life change? I think I kind of hit that. You know, your relationship is just changing. The relationship of the prodigal to his father in that in that uh, parable changed, right? When he walked away, he said, God, you know, Father, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. Basically what he was saying, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance today. Uh, he walks away. The relationship changes. The identity doesn't change. The father still is wanting the son to come back and is excited when the son does come back um, but but the role of the relationship uh, can change if two people love God and ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit why is only one of them able to speak in tongues is there more to that than God either leading you slowly in from the shallow end or straight in for the deep end um, no good question um, anybody want to take a stab at that I'm happy to talk, but I know I'm talking. Could you restate it? Yeah. Um, if two people love God and ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why is only one of them able to speak in tongues? Is there more to that than God either leading you slowly in from the shallow end? I kind of use that analogy of leading you uh, sometimes from the shallow end <clears throat> or straight in the deep end. Uh, and let me say there's always deeper with an infinite God, but... Um, they all... Yeah, I'll speak to that very yeah. quickly. Um, I think, um, you know, maybe the root of the question is sort of like, why does it seem like if two people are seeking it, one maybe doesn't receive it, um, which is totally possible. Um, I'd say, one, there can be difficulties in receiving it. Um, uh, Nate, maybe you alluded to this, but uh, one of them is fear. You know, fear, especially fear of what people think. Um, like if you're really self-conscious, um, I've seen people that when they're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and they're just worried about 
how they're going to sound when they speak in tongues, or how like it might sound silly, or you know, that's going to essentially kind of prevent you from receiving sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, we'll work with you guys and, and talk you through it. But really, you want to get lost in just worshiping and adoring Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you take your eyes off yourself. Yeah. And you just look at Him. And and so I I I have friends that struggle to receive it for a number of years. Um, but when they did receive it, it was always simple, and it was always um, when it, they just trusted. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so funny how we can complicate trust and make it this complex thing, which it's really not. Um, and so I think, yeah, there, there, there are just different factors that can, that can relate to why someone receives sooner than someone else. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, if you don't receive it right away that you should just give up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. It's good, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it often comes <laughs> to this place of just like finally letting go, mm-hmm. yeah. stop striving, and mm-hmm. just receive. Yeah, I was just gonna say another thing that can happen is uh, like being afraid of making it up. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. yeah. I think the answer is the same that we just need to get lost in the Lord and not focus on am I because <laughs> God yeah. doesn't just like. It's not like he takes over our body and mm-hmm. it's yeah. like in that worship of God yeah. where we kind of get lost. Um, it's good. He's enabling us, but he's it's not like all of a sudden you'll feel like the Holy Spirit's taking over completely and Yeah, this is not demon it. possession. Yeah. It's different. <laughs> it, it, literally literally I mean you think about it, it's kind of this yeah. you sometimes you think it's kinda of the same, the whole, like a spirit is it's totally different. The Holy Spirit the author of life, the demonic is always stealing the concepts yeah. of God and twisting it, yeah. Um, yeah. where the demon possession often actually, not to get into the weirdness of all that, but but actually sometimes can like force itself in on you. Um, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's like, yeah. but think about Peter on the, with the boat. He just had to get out. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't feel like, oh, I feel like my feet are suddenly like... Uh, you know, buoyant. I think I think I'm okay. You know, like I'm gonna, it's gonna work. I'm gonna go. Like yeah. he just had to get out of the boat, yeah. and then he experienced the power of yeah. God. Yeah. And and as as weird as that sounds, and again, I don't want to. I think uh, accusation that I think sometimes has legitimacy is the, you Pentecostals. You just like force tongues. Or, or, you know, overemphasize that. No, this is just like a, a gateway tool of the Holy Spirit to get you where he wants to get you, which is closer to him, yeah. right? Yes. But yes. but step out in, in speaking, and all of a sudden he's like, holy, you know, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And you feel, oh, man, man, I just, man, that was so cool to like, experience the Lord just stepping out. It's like Peter, whoa, hey, things are happening, <laughs> right? But he had to get out of the boat. Yeah. So don't overcomplicate it. Just yeah. get out of the boat. It's good. Okay. Uh, in terms of speaking in tongues, do you know what is being said? Is this different from the interpretation of tongues? Uh, how do you know if you're forcing tongues? Uh, so I, I'll say the last one real quick. If you're forcing tongues, again, it's just kind of like the whole thing, like get out of the boat. Are you forcing yourself to float? You know, like I know I'm not. It's a good question. It really is. Um, but I would say don't overcomplicate it, like Brent was saying. Just get out of the boat. Um, and let the Holy Spirit move. If you're like forcing it, you'll sense it. But most most likely, uh, 
you're going to suddenly realize you're standing on water. You know, just step out. Yeah. Uh, you're going to, you're going to feel this like, like abiding communion with the Holy Spirit when you step out and all of a sudden you sense, yeah. well, he's taking this and I'm just kind of learning to let him take mm-hmm. me here. If you're like, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. You know, like, yeah, okay. You know, just. What? Anybody grew up at Pentecostal Church, like, what are you talking about? Like, should have bought a Honda, you know, but I bought a Kia. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you're going to know. But I would encourage, don't be afraid of that. Just start speaking. Just start speaking, and but make sure you're doing it in worship. Uh, make sure you're doing it in worship. Uh, I think it's funny that the whole concept. I remember one time, just a side note, real quick. But I remember the one time when I was like, I'll use this sometimes because it's just such an interesting example. When I was like, in, we do like the spiritual readings tent sometimes, which in itself sounds weird, but it's really cool because there's a spiritual campus. They're like I don't care about prayer, but I care about spiritual connection. And we and we had this. I had this guy come in, and I was praying for him, and honestly. Honestly, I was just thinking in my heart, I was just thinking, God, don't let me look like an idiot in front of these people that are never have never done this before. Right? Like I was like supposed to be like the director <laughs> of the outpost. Right? Like I'm supposed to have this figured out, right? You know, so like God, like just give me something to impress, you know, the, the small group leader sitting next to me. That was honestly I wasn't trying to, but that was my thought in my heart. It's like God just don't let me look like an idiot when I'm trying. And nothing was coming. And nothing was happening. And all of a sudden, I, you know, we prayed for one or two people, and I finally said, God, I'm so sorry. Mm. I know that's not the right heart. Mm. I said, God, just help me love this person. Mm. Bam. Yeah. It's like, did you play with a Ouija board lately? What? How do you know that? Okay. We, we need to deal with some stuff. And I got to minister to this guy. Um, so the expression is always love. Loving God. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes by that, loving people, yeah. right? But it's always about love. It's always about loving God, loving people, which is an expression of loving God. So just keep your focus there. Don't be focused on tongues or not tongues. It's just a tool of God to get you, you know, you're not going to speak in tongues when you're face to face. Like it's going to be like, you know, bam. But, but in this time, it's like a tool to get us closer into that presence of God. Love God. Let that be the focus. And the expression just comes naturally. Okay, um, the Bible says that we can always seek for more of God and His Spirit. All we have to do is ask. So why is the second baptism distinguished as its own individual event? Good, yeah. Which suggests that it is the step. Uh, it is the step into fullness or completeness. Okay, good question. Why is it not enough to simply ask God in prayer for more of Him? Uh, throughout our lives, especially since we are continually growing in our faith. Good. Okay, so, hey, this seems very binary. Like, you have it, you don't. It's like, you know, linear. Uh, Why can't it just be a progression? Uh, Okay, anybody want to take a stab at that? I can talk, but everybody knows I can talk. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's true that if we really, like, wholeheartedly and humbly just seek to abide with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus uh, and trust, put our trust in Him that these things will happen just naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if fear yeah. is eliminated and our full confidence is 
it's like it's like our convictions of discipleship. It's the same. I believe it's the same thing. If we just put our faith and our complete confidence in Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, um, we will come to the conclusions that we have in a lot of ways. I think we just we talk about these things because there's such a stigma in the church. Like I remember, you know, sitting down with Josh Nicholas and Lupita's and like they're taking scripture out of context and Satan did that, you know. <laughs> uh, but like, but we need to talk about these things because we need to eliminate the fear and, and really be able to put our confidence in Jesus. And and so it's not like we should strive for speaking in tongues. We should strive for the baptism. We should just strive for the face of Jesus and mm-hmm. to encounter God and to mm-hmm. be more intimate with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, I mean, read if you read John, you know, what chapters 12 through 17, right before the cross, it's like Jesus made it so clear, like, trust me guys, it's better that I go away so that you can receive the fullness of the Spirit, you know? And, and um, so I think we talk about these things really because we've realized how important they are and how um, how wonderful the fullness of the promises of God are. And so if we just abide, we will come to these things, but God, God wants it for us. Why not talk about it? Why not ask him specifically for these things? Why not actually put our desires in this promise, um, but still making the main focus the abiding presence and the intimacy with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, great. I feel like that answered your question. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, um, the only thing I would add is just there are moments where things seem to take a binary mm-hmm. turn in faith. Mm-hmm. Why don't I just kind of hang out in my faith journey with Jesus and just kind of grow into salvation? Like, well, if you're abiding, as Andrew said, with Jesus, there will come this point when you realize you need to commit to him in your heart. Um, there's a difference between when I was dating Lindsay, was engaged to Lindsay, and then I made that commitment that kind of took me into a binary change of like a relationship, right? Yeah. That just like, okay, now it's different. But then I kept growing in that. It wasn't yeah. the fullness of merit of relationship. Like, okay, now I'm perfectly a husband. Let me tell you. No, I, you know. But, but I am now in a deeper experience with him. And so think about like, we, have, we realize we do not fully experience all of God yet. Someday face to face, now, no. But, but there are, Stepping stones and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is one where uh, we can jump from having our identity changed to beginning to abide with the presence of the Holy Spirit in this season. And someday we're going to abide in the presence of the Father. And that's going to be a different experience. But but is there kind of a binary change? It seems like it. And I don't know why. I don't know. I honestly, I, I don't know if I know. I just know that you know scripture seems to highlight that, and anecdotally, I've experienced that there is a difference there. If you think of it more easily as as a progression, that's fine. 
just take on the concept of Paul to say, seek after the greater expressions of the Holy Spirit in your life. So still, you should be seeking after the gifts, either case, and let that be an expression of growing into that. That's fine. Um, either either way you want to think about it. Um, but there, do, there does seem to be binary moments where it's like, okay, we're changing our experience. I changed my experience in marriage. I changed my experience in salvation. I'm changing my experience with the Holy Spirit, who is the one of the Trinity that we have the most access to now. Jesus we had on earth, we're going to have in heaven, uh, the Father in heaven fully, uh, but, but the Holy Spirit, he's the one that we get now. So <coughs> taking that step into not just Jesus's, the ramifications of Jesus's uh, work, but actually experiencing what the Holy Spirit has for us now is kind of a stepping stone. Jacob. I would just say every time that we we see the word and we see what it says, we make an agreement with it in our minds. The appropriate step is to take an action. And every time you take a step of obedience, basically something binary is happening. You're doing something that you've never seen or done before. So, you know, conviction needs to occur, but once you've seen scripture and you're like, hey, I see that that's true, uh, the next step is to act on it. Mm -hmm. And that would be it's good. Um, we're getting down to the end here, guys, and I, I do want to try to answer as many of these as I can, just because I, I think it's important. Um, but I, I hope you guys, you guys with me? You following? Good. You engaged? I know it's kind of late, Friday night, um, and, we, and we we want to have some time to actually walk into this. But I do want to just give you that time for the mind to wrestle. Uh, I've always wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but have never received. What can I do to receive, and how will I know I've received it? Um, that's a great question. Um, yeah, anybody want to take a hit that? I'm happy to, but... Yeah, Jake. I can talk about that one. So, I grew up in a church that believed in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I always was seeking and mm-hmm. asking for it. And I didn't receive until 2017. Two years ago, I'm 36. Mm-hmm. So it's not that that God didn't want to give that to me, mm-hmm. but I had so many thoughts inside of my head about, is this me? Mm-hmm. Um, just like a war inside of my head wow. every time I every time I was seeking. So really, for me, it was it was all about just believing that that God really wants this for me. Yeah. He, yeah. And and He does. He wants He wants to give you a good gift. Yeah. Yes, it's good. So it's good. It's good. Just, just continuing to see, um, even even if it doesn't happen the first time, knowing that we have a good Father who yeah. loves us mm-hmm. and wants to give us this good gift. It's good, Jake. It's yeah. good. There is there is often the storyline of like just when you finally let go, and sometimes like at CSU we get a lot of engineers and stuff. Sometimes it's really hard, not to over highlight that, but like it's really hard because there's like okay, I need to. You know, analytically understand that something is, you know, happening and what's going on in the graph of what's, you know, the moments that I'm like leaning into that and the, you know, the counterweight of the Holy Spirit working my situation, like, like, just chill. So, sometimes I just want to shake people, like, just let go. You know, like, and and so, I mean, I know our national director, his whole story is like he was at a prayer meeting, he was seeking the Holy Spirit, it, he had an, ex- he didn't experience it, he left. He had to go to a lab late at night, like a like a some uh, lab at the university, and he's running across campus 
And as he's running, he suddenly starts speaking in tongues. Not even thinking about it. It was like, whoa! You know, like, why? Because he finally was just, he got out of his head. He was seeking it. He wanted to receive the Holy Spirit. And he finally had to come to a place where his mind didn't get in the way. And he was just running the campus, like, finally kind of let his mind go. His spirit was, like, in that place. Like, God, I want this. And when his mind finally was, like, distracted, bam. I know so many people, like, you know, in the shower the next morning, like, I was praying all night last night, and they go take a shower, and it's like, start worshiping God in the tongue. It's like, whoa, I was, you know, just, just chill. Now, there are things, we'll, we can talk about that, we'll get into that. Sometimes sin can get in the way. Uh, if there is sin, I'm not saying that is it, or always that by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, if there's ever been, you know, dealing, uh, messing with witchcraft or the demonic, um, sometimes that can have a stronghold that's holding you back. You still got you got to confront that directly, repent of that, uh, uh, heal from that. If there's unforgiveness, that can get in the way. So sin can get in the way because again, it's a relational tethering. And if that sin is a is a affront to relationship, if you're going deeper, sometimes that can be that. But not always. Not I'm not saying I haven't experienced it. So therefore, you are in sin. I'm not saying that. But but that can be. Um, or other times, it's just like just chill, just receive, get out of the boat. Not to over push my analogy, yeah. but uh, yeah, okay, all right, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. I think I've got, uh, I think I've got this one. I think this is the last one. I've got a few here. Uh, then we're gonna stop just for the sake of time here. But um, all great questions. If someone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit loses their way with God, how then does? Oh, you know, what? I actually read did that one. Um, Ask, you know, how do you know for sure if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Some people have said you just know, but what is that experience like? Uh, I'll just say, try to explain salvation to someone who hasn't experienced salvation. <laughs> it's like, my whole life changed. What does that feel like? Well, I don't know. <laughs> experience it yourself. You'll, you'll suddenly be like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, you know, it's kind of like that. Uh, tongues, that's where tongues helps, honestly. Um, not to over push it again, but, but tongues help because uh, there's this like physical thing you can tether to. It's like, man, I, I experienced the Lord flowing through me in a, in a physical way. And it just helps strengthen, uh, reinforce what the Lord is doing. Uh, in terms of speaking in tongues, do you know what is being said? Uh, is there a difference from the interpretation of tongues? Did we read this? Yeah, you went through that. Did I do that? Okay. Did I not? Um, I don't think I did. The the answer, sorry. Uh, do you know what's being said? Sometimes, sometimes not. I think Kaylee said, you know, sometimes you don't know the words exactly, but you you know the spirit of what the Lord is saying. Uh, when I'm speaking in tongues, I feel this deep willing of surrender and abiding and communion with the Holy Spirit, which is why when I'm so spiritually dry, man, that's where I go. Because there is, it's like it's like shedding water on dry ground. It just saturates, and I don't even I don't always know the how or the why. I don't even always know what the Holy Spirit's saying. Sometimes I do, sometimes I do. Um, and, and interpreting interpreting tongues is when the Lord gives you insight, like, hey, this is what I'm this is what I'm saying. Um, but oftentimes tongue is tongues is just about surrendering and abiding in that in that place. With the Lord, which sometimes, like Winky Prattney says in a, in a di- different context, but same principle, 
the Lord says obey, you do, and then he explains why sometimes. Right? It's kind of like that with tongues. He just says, surrender your tongue, you do, and then you understand sometimes. But it's, the point is surrender, obedience, and abiding in that relationship with him. So, um, Okay. I think we're going to end there. Here's where we're going to go, guys. We are... Um, it's great to talk about this, but I want to give opportunity to actually experience this. Because if we talk about the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit without experiencing it, it really doesn't do us any good. Um, and kind of what I was talking about if you were at large group last night, like the inoculated church, we don't want to become inoculated to the idea that God yeah. wants to abide with us. We want to press into that and experience the transformation that comes from not just knowing something, but experiencing him. Yeah. And we have a God who's experiential as much as intellectual. Uh, maybe even more at times. But but uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just, it's like 9.17. Uh, I'm going to give you guys basically 10 minutes. I'm going to ask you guys just to go. Uh, go downstairs, take a break again. You know, stretch your legs, go to the restroom, um, get some water, whatever you need to do. If you would like us to pray with you uh, and walk with you through this and experience that, I'm going to ask you to come back. And if you don't come back, then okay, have a great night. And and I hope you'll sit on this and pray about this and really wrestle with this. But um, but I'm going to ask you to come back in here and we're going to we're going to walk into the uh, experiencing uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so with that, um, why don't we take a break? And like I said, in 10 minutes. Uh, we'll give a, a quick call probably too to say, hey, come on back. But but we come back. Uh, it'd be good if you weren't like needing to run in the restroom in the middle of like you know sleeping and that kind of thing. So so go do that. Um, stretch your legs. Let your mind run for a second. If somebody just wanted to come and pray and worship. Could they do that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Castle. So I meant to say that. If you've if you already experienced this, um, and you would like to just come with your friend. Uh, who's maybe seeking, or like to pray for some other people who are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are more than welcome. Uh, in fact, I'd encourage that. Um, and we're, we're just going to have a little powwow in here. It's going to be great. So why don't you go, and uh, in 10 minutes, come back if you would like to, to be prayed for. <laughs>